0: Well, at this point in our service, we have the opportunity uh, to turn our attention more directly to God's Word, and so I'll invite uh, Emily forward. She's going to read for us, Uh, but before she does that, we're just going to get a little bit up to date on what we've been looking at. Um, Throughout the month of of January, we've been uh, working through the book of Jonah. Jonah is a prophet uh, called by God to go to the city of Nineveh and to preach against it and its wickedness. But Jonah doesn't want to go, so he disobeys God. In fact, he runs away in the complete opposite direction, as far as he could get from Nineveh. In running away, he joins a group of sailors. They're on their way down to Tarshish. But when on the boat, a big storm comes, and eventually Jonah is thrown overboard when it's realized that this storm has come because Jonah is running from God. Despite being thrown overboard in the middle of the storm, Jonah, he's spared. He's swallowed up by the fish and then remains in the fish's belly for three days and three nights. From the belly of the fish, though, Jonah cries. He cries out to God despite his sin and disobedience. Jonah knows that God alone can save him. Jonah's cries, they're heard by God, and the fish then vomits him out onto dry land. After surviving this really crazy situation, Jonah is once again instructed to go back to Nineveh, or to go to Nineveh for the first time. And this time he obeys. And then after preaching only eight words, the king and all of the city repent. God shows mercy to Nineveh, and they're spared from destruction. And this brings us then to chapter 4 in our text today. And what we would expect to read here then in chapter 4 is some sort of celebration of the repentance and salvation of the Ninevites and of the mercy and grace of God. Jonah has arguably preached probably one of the greatest sermons ever. Uh, After all, almost a whole city uh, repents and believes. And so we expect that joy and amazement and worship that ought to come along with that. And yet instead, in yet another twist in this book, we see something totally different. And so Emily is going to read this passage at Jonah 4, 1 to 5, and tell us exactly what happens. Okay, Jonah 4, 1 to 5. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, em. Uh let's, let's pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word. Uh, we pray that as we uh, listen to it and um, hear it preached, Father, that, that um, yeah, you would give us understanding, that our eyes and ears would be open, and uh, that we would be able to apply it to our lives, uh, that our hearts might be changed. Father, we give this all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this passage in Jonah chapter 4, rather than celebration, rather than joy and amazement, we see anger from Jonah, and a lot of it. Jonah is ticked at God's grace. He can't believe that God would be so gracious and kind to the city of Nineveh. This isn't a righteous anger. The text makes it clear. That's not what's going on. The Lord asks Jonah in verse 4, do you do well? Uh, To be angry. This is like when a parent asks their child, uh, do you think you did the right thing here? The answer is almost always a big no. Uh, Do you think it was right to push your little brother off the bed? Do you think it was right to sneak into the kitchen and steal all the cookies in the middle of the night? Is it right to hit your friend? No, no, and no. And when God asks Jonah if it's right for him to be angry, we know the correct answer. And so this, this afternoon, we're going to look at this text and Jonah's problem with anger, but also what that means for us. And so we're, we're going to break it down into three parts. The problem of anger, the root of anger, and then the remedy for anger. So it's the problem of anger, the root of anger, and the remedy for anger. And so first, we're going to look at the problem, the problem of anger. Jonah here, after seeing and hearing the Ninevites have repented, is filled with anger. Again, this isn't a little bit of anger. He's not annoyed. He's not simply frustrated, but he's angry. And in true Jonah fashion, he is overly dramatic about it and tells us in verse 3, he's angry enough to die. Most commentators agree Jonah here isn't suicidal. He's just acting childish and not getting his way. Jonah was throwing a tantrum trying to do and say anything that that would get God's attention and force him to change his mind to do what Jonah wanted. Amidst his dramatic flair, Jonah is essentially asking God, how could you, God, save the enemies of my country? How could this be? He's angry. Whether you're here today as a Christian or not, I think it's safe to say that all of us have experienced some type of anger in our lives. Maybe it's been as a perpetrator, where through your anger, you have mistreated someone and sought to hurt them. Or maybe it's been as a victim on the receiving end of anger, where someone has mistreated you and caused pain that lasted far beyond the immediate words or actions. Or probably, most likely, you've been on both sides of it. Anger, after all, it's a serious widespread problem. It's one we see all around us. You just got to go to the roads or social media, out in public. We also see it in all of our relationships. Anger is a serious problem because it so often leaves broken relationships in its wake. I think with anger, it's tempting to say, not me, I don't have an anger problem. When we think of anger, it may be easier to come up with a list of names of people who we think are angry before we admit that we ourselves have an issue. It's tempting to be thankful that you don't have a temper like your spouse or like your parents or boss or friend. You keep things calm and collected, that your emotions are in check and under control. I know for me, this is what I have so often thought in my life. I thought the only form of anger was the typical red hot anger that we see in Jonah. But the truth is, and the trouble is with anger, is that it takes many different forms. I remember a few years back when I was on my way to work, uh, I'd forgot my phone, so turned around, went back home, and then set out again for work the second time. Now, I'm much too late to make it to work on time. And then it's so often the case when you're late, uh, you end up hitting every red light. And I remember sitting at a red light looking around, and there's no other cars stopped. No cars going through the green light. No other cars stopped at the red light. It dawned on me, the longer I'm sitting here, I'm just getting later and later for work. And I remember sitting at those lights and, and thinking, who are the people who installed these lights at this intersection? And how could they be so terrible at their job? How could they not get better sensors? How could they not get better lights? And why are they making me wait? How could they not foresee this terrible problem. This is probably the first time for me that it dawned on me that I actually had an anger problem. See, for me, I often used more acceptable words than anger. It was frustration, or I was annoyed, or disappointed. I thought others weren't quite as smart, but I wasn't angry. But as I learned more about anger, I realized underneath so many of my emotions, so many of our emotions, is so often anger. The truth is, anger is more prevalent and diverse than we so often think. Ed Welch, he's a Christian counselor, and he's helpful in this area. He actually breaks down different types of anger that we see. He separates them into three categories. And so there's the most common type that we probably think of, the kind Jonah is struggling with, a kind of hot anger. We would use terms here like explosive, rage, envy, hate. jealousy, murder, fighting, quarrels, and even abuse. These are all terrible types of anger that we often associate with a temper or anger in the heat of the moment. But they aren't the only type of anger. There's also what we would call cold types of anger, maybe slightly harder to see when we give someone the, the silent treatment or the cold shoulder, or when we withdraw from a situation or a relationship. It's when we become uh, indifferent or sometimes it expresses itself as someone who is controlling, keeping score, or maybe something as simple as muttering the word stupid under your breath at someone else. But then there's also one more category and it's this type of covert anger. Maybe harder to to identify or maybe we don't associate uh, these things with anger right off the bat, but more often than not, It's anger beneath them. In this category, we could use terms like grumbling, complaining, even sarcasm or gossiping, being defensive, annoyed, frustrated, irritable, entitled. Maybe when you roll your eyes at someone or when you simply have a feeling of superiority. Believe it or not, these are all types of anger. Grumbling and complaining, for instance, they speak the common refrain of all anger. I want something and I'm not getting it. Sarcasm says, uh, you're foolish, and I'm not. And then it adds, just joking, just kidding, as you enjoy life from your self-righteous vantage point. Gossip is the judge who publicizes his or her verdict and then tries to convince others to do the same. Withdrawal and silence, they're nasty. They're forms of punishment. The person decides they will not show their favor to the wretched soul until he or she comes and begs for forgiveness and makes amends. Indifference might be the worst form of anger when a person simply decides they don't care enough anymore about the other person. They've judged him or her and sent them off into exile where they can bother no one. Envy says, I want what you have. And then jealousy takes envy one step further and says, I deserve what you have and you don't. Broken relationships are sure to follow. These are all different aspects of anger. But you might ask, what's what's the point of all this? Why go through different types of anger and break it down? Well, I think with Jonah, it's easy to look at him and think, how could he think like that? How could he possibly be angry enough to die because God showed mercy to the Ninevites? The truth is, though, if we're honest with ourselves, is that we're not that much different than Jonah. Jonah. It can be easy to to point our finger at him and judge his actions, but so often we act like Jonah. We can be angry people too. Of course, we try to use more palatable words and phrases, but the reality is we're more like Jonah than we'd care to admit. So then this leaves us with a question. Where does all this anger come from? Why are we so prone to anger? And so that leads us to our second point, the root of anger. When we look at verse 2, we begin to get a glimpse of why Jonah is so angry. He says, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Jonah says, I knew that this would happen. This is exactly why I didn't want to go. I knew you were going to relent and forgive the Ninevites. How could you? I knew you were a God of mercy, but this time you've gone too far. Jonah is angry because his enemies were forgiven. Aren't you, God, supposed to be the God who destroys the bad guys and saves us good guys? What are you doing? How could you be so foolish? Jonah's refrain is the common refrain of anger. I'm not getting what I want. Jonah, though, he isn't the only time that we see this anger problem in the Bible. In fact, we see very similar anger all throughout Scripture. It's not just Jonah who's angry. And the interesting thing about these different stories is many of them follow the exact same pattern. The one who is angry received mercy, but when it's time for that mercy to be extended to others... They become angry. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells the uh, parable of the unforgiving servant. And so uh, a servant had uh, a huge debt, uh, 10,000 bags of gold, uh, and this debt was to the king. And this debt uh, came due. It was to be paid, and so the king sent for the servant. But the servant wasn't able to pay. And so the king says to the servant, you need to sell... uh, Well, he's going to sell himself, his wife, his kids, and all that he has so that he can pay his debt. But the servant, uh, he falls to his knees and he begs the king, be patient with me and I will pay back everything. Surprisingly, uh, the king has pity on the servant and he listens and he cancels uh, the servant's debt in a miraculous show of mercy. The servant leaves and on his way out, He ran into one of his fellow servants who owed him only a hundred silver coins. The first servant grabs him and chokes him. Pay back what you owe. His fellow servant, like the first servant originally did, fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But the first servant refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. In Luke 15, another parable in the Gospels, we read the parable of the prodigal son. There's two sons. uh, One leaves with his part of the inheritance. He then goes on to squander all his wealth and all that he has. And when he realizes that his life would actually be better if he just went home and acted as a servant to his father, he decides to go home. The father, while the son is still far off, he, he welcomes him in and throws a party. But we read in verse 28 that the older brother, who had stayed home, became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. In Jonah, in the parable of the unforgiving servant, in the elder brother, we see the same pattern, anger rooted in self-righteousness. Jonah and the unforgiving servant plead for mercy and they receive it but cannot live with the reality that others may too receive mercy. The elder brother, he incorrectly doesn't think he even needs any of the mercy and is horrified that the father extends mercy to his own brother. See, the root of anger is a pride and a self-righteousness that puts you on the throne. Jonah, the unforgiving servant, and the elder brother all view themselves as king. You become the one who knows best. You become judge and jury. And when people or things get in the way of how you think things should go, or when people get in the way of what you want, anger ensues. People and the things of this world become obstacles in the way of what you really want. And this is one reason why anger and idolatry so often go hand in hand. As our deepest longings remain unfulfilled, as we lose power or control, comfort, and approval, We become annoyed and frustrated. We become angry because we're not getting what we want. For Jonah, we see this pride and self-righteousness work itself out in a couple ways. First, it becomes clear that self-righteousness lives in Jonah's heart in such a way that he believes he deserves mercy more than the Ninevites. In other words, Jonah believes somehow, some way, that he's better than them. He believes that something he has done even though we've seen him embarrass himself and blatantly disobey God, merits God's mercy. Jonah is struggling with a self-righteous heart. He believes he, he, he wasn't on the same low level as those idol-worshipping pagans. Second, we see Jonah's self-righteous heart through his overzealous love for his country. Nineveh was an Assyrian city, and they were Israel's enemies. Of course, anyone who cared for his own country would have been a little anxious about their survival. It was a terrorist state. Jonah, however, he did not turn to God with his anxiety. If he had to choose between the security of Israel and loyalty to God, well, he was going to push God away. You could call it nationalism or racism, but Jonah should have been there, prepared to help them continue their journey by teaching them the character of this new God. Instead, he was furious, angry that they had even begun to move toward God. At the root of anger for Jonah, and ultimately for each of us, is a self-righteous heart. It's the problem we see in Jonah, in the unforgiving servant, in the elder brother, and in so many other places in the Bible. And it's a problem that so many of us continue to struggle with today. And so we're left with this question: How do we fix this problem? What can we do with our anger? What is the remedy? Ironically, it's Jonah who points us in the right direction. Looking back again at verse two, Jonah he tells us the character of God. He says, "I knew that you're gracious, God, and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster." In other words, Jonah knew that it fits God's character to be merciful and gracious. He knew that it was God's character to be slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. But this then leaves us with a question. How do we reconcile God's mercy and grace with his love for what is good and his hatred for evil? How can God simply forgive the Ninevites? They were, after all, terribly evil in what they did. Can God just forgive and forget? Can he move on because he's just that loving? Well, we find the answer to this problem in Christ. Because in Christ, we see God's mercy and justice meet. Because God loves what is good, he cannot ignore the evil and injustice in our world today. God cannot ignore the Ninevite's sin or Jonah's anger and disobedience or our anger and disobedience. God doesn't sweep it under the rug But rather, Jesus takes sin. He takes our anger, our self righteousness, our prideful hearts upon Himself. He pays the punishment that we deserve for our sin Himself so that we might be forgiven and restored. See, Jonah, he runs from Nineveh, he runs away from the storm while Christ runs to it. Jonah was the one angry, even though he wasn't the one who had to pay the price for forgiveness. God in Christ is merciful and gracious even when he was the one who would actually pay for the sins of Nineveh. We read throughout Scripture that God delights to show this mercy, that he's happy to do so. In one sense, if anyone did have the right to be angry, it would be Christ. For we have betrayed him, disappointed him, turned our backs on him, and continually disobey him while chasing after idols. And yet we're not met with this anger, but with mercy. Not because the things that we do aren't actually that bad, but because Christ takes these sins upon himself. He doesn't give us the silent treatment or respond with hot anger or the cold shoulder, even though that's what we deserve and more. But having dealt with sin on the cross, he grants mercy and grace and forgiveness to anyone who will come to him our anger will diminish as our self-righteousness diminishes. As we see our own sin and shortcomings and our desperate need for grace, our hearts can be changed. When we see that Christ is the one who dealt with our sin, our anger can subside. After all, if you're a Christian here today, how quick we are to forget that we were outsiders once. Romans says, for while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment Christ died for the ungodly. It's only because of God's mercy through his son, Jesus, that we can now be in the family as adopted children of God. When we look not down on those around us, but up to Christ, we can begin to rid our lives of the anger that we so often succumb to. Unfortunately, this is not an easy journey. Jonah has been embarrassed. He's been humbled and humiliated And yet there's still a self-righteousness that occupies a part of his heart. This is after being uh, tossed overboard a ship, swallowed by a fish, and then living, remember. Extremely dramatic, life-changing moments. But it would be unwise to think our journey would not follow the same ups and downs that Jonah's did, as we seek to become people who are like Christ, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding and steadfast love. So what does this look like? How do we respond to our disappointments, our trials, and issues in a godly way? There is injustice in our world around us. People sin against us. We sin. How ought we respond? I think uh, Rachel Hollander here is helpful. So Rachel was abused as a teen, and when asked what does it mean to forgive her abuser, This is what she said. It means that I trust in God's justice, and I release bitterness and anger and a desire for personal vengeance. It does not mean that I minimize or mitigate or excuse what he has done. It does not mean that I pursue justice on earth any less zealously. It simply means that I release personal vengeance against him, and I trust God's justice whether he chooses to meet that out purely eternally or both in heaven and on earth. She goes on to say, The Bible carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you, her abuser. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you've done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. What Rachel is saying is that the remedy of anger is a deep trust that God will deal with the injustice of our world far better than we can. Even through, either through, sorry, the cross of Christ for those who repent and believe or through individuals facing the punishment for their own sin. This gives us the freedom, as difficult as it is, and it is tremendously difficult, not to be consumed when evil is done to us or when things don't go our way. And it also gives us the confidence that regardless of what we've done in the past, forgiveness is offered to us. Christ tells us, come to him, repent and believe in the good news that Christ died so that we might live. Our anger Paid for, our sin taken care of through Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God that is slow to anger, that you're merciful, and gracious, and abounding in steadfast love. We admit far too often we take advantage of your kindness and mercy. And we act much like jonah did with anger we respond in ways that, that we never should and so father uh, we look to you that you would change our hearts that you would make us more like christ that we would become people as slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love that we would treat those around us with mercy and grace as we have first been treated father we know this work is only possible Uh, through the power of your Spirit. And so work in each of our hearts today, Father, that uh, we might uh, become people uh, of uh, peace and of love who are slow to anger and abounding in your love, Father. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.